We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Eggman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Oh! Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. He steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! As the sun sets on another warm, sticky day here in the beautiful town of Spartanburg at Wofford College, the sun starts to set on what is the 28th training camp of this franchise's history as we're coming to you live from the home of Panthers training camp, Wofford College. John Ellis is my name. Hope you all are having a great week so far. This is day 11 of training camp, the recap here on the Roar podcast, powered by Blue Wire. Billy Marshall is off today, so we're here to give you uh, sort of my bird's eye view of what I saw for a two and a half hour practice. You heard that right, folks. Two and a half hours. Typically, we're running around 90 minutes or so, maybe a little longer than that. Uh, but this one was going well into the 1 p.m. hour as they kicked off at 10 a.m. Eastern. I've got a ton of information to bring you, a ton of little nuggets that we saw during this practice session, some statistics to go along with the quarterback performances, uh, and even a quick visit with general manager Scott Fitter. Had a chance to meet with Scott and ask him a few questions about the state of the roster. Very pleasant individual, by the way, and a, just a very nice conversation. Uh, by way of my friend Darian Rencher, uh, former running back for Clemson, who I spent the entire practice with today, and getting a player's perspective. If you don't know Darian's story, he was a Disney Spirit Award winner for the Clemson Tigers. Played a lot of years there as one of their role players on special teams and at running back. And Darian had a tryout with the team in rookie camp. Got to know Matt Rule a little bit. Got to know Jeff Nixon, some of the other rookies on this roster, and most importantly, the general manager, Scott Fitter, who was kind enough to stop by and spend 15 minutes with us talking a little bit about Darian's life, his plans, uh, that guy's heading for big things, folks, in the media world. And he may catch on with the team. He's got talent. But we had a great time talking with uh, Fitterer. That was fun. That was interesting. Cool guy, to say the least. We're here for the next 45 minutes to give you some of the meat and potatoes of the football side of things. Not a lot of drama today. We've been you know, Drama season is, is hopefully moving on here as we experience quite a bit of that this weekend. Uh, I have nothing to report in terms of laps that were run by certain players and uh, balls were not held over the goal line. Although I think Tremble did do it once today. 
Uh, but it was sort of uh, somebody from the team had retweeted and said, well, this was a fourth down play. Matt Rule doesn't mind that. I have no energy for talking about stretching the ball over the goal line and punishment that ensues following such an infraction. We're on to football. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. We're going to talk about that. Also, the interesting position battles within this offensive line. And you can call them battles with quote marks, but I'm getting a sense that things are taking shape with Ike Aquano, who ran with the ones again today at left tackle. But now with that said, you have some interesting, unanticipated question marks, at least from my view, at left guard. There's a familiar name that has been getting the ones there at left guard in terms of reps, and we'll talk about that throughout the show here. A lot of dynamic plays were made on offense, uh, defensively. There are some things I don't see that concern me. So let me frame this another way. I, I can't look at the defense right now and say, oh, my God, this is, no, this is bad. This is not good. It's mostly offensive skill players and the quarterback, Mayfield, making some nice plays. But there still remains a spot of bother for me defensively that you probably won't see take shape until preseason games kick off. Ironically enough, that happens here against Washington 1 p.m. on Saturday. It's here, folks. And as I've always told you, from the time I started doing One Panther Place and the Roar podcast covering these camps, the first gate to really doing a true eval comes when you get the pads on around this time and the install seems to be getting in pretty much at, at not 100%, but it's more complete than it was. First week or so is a get-to-know-you type of session, and you're not in pads. You're kind of just going through the basics, important stuff, fundamental drills, continuity drills. But right now you're seeing the, the real stuff start to take shape with this football team. And more times than not, as I told Scott Fitterer today, he just very casually said, what do you think about the team? No, it's always just typical Scott. You're very, you know, nonchalant, very, as a matter of fact. And the comment I made to him was the comment I told you guys on the show the other day is, uh, look, I've been coming to camp for quite a few years now. And when I zoned in on camp from maybe 2019 through now, you would always see something right off the bat that, at least from my football view, would say uh, that that could be a problem in October. That looks like it's something that shouldn't be happening. Uh, I have yet to see something like that at this camp. In fact, I've seen more promising, elevating type of moments from guys you might not expect, and then a few from those that I anticipated would have good camps. And so far, uh, it's what I told Scott, that I think maybe, just maybe, you know, the coaching staff enhancements have been helpful. And to give rule credit, it's been a clean camp. Uh, with the exception of a few things that we disagree on in terms of strategy of, you know, disciplining players, the overall camp structure has been very good. The work management has been good, I think. Now, we can quibble over reps here from the quarterbacks. We all know that's something that we don't all agree on. Most of us don't agree on it. But I just told Scott, I said, I, I think, and to correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, adding Corbett, adding Bozeman, gives you a better sense of for from day one okay those are problem areas i used to look at and say that might be a problem come october and now suddenly we're in a position where if they stay healthy that's a strength and i know scott talked about corbett in particular as a guy that and we chronicled this too as a guy that has played some 
uh, a high workload of snaps with a very good team in the L.A. Rams and had one of the fewest penalty rates and, and mistake rates, if you will, through the PFF charting over those past two years. And we're talking maybe second or third most reps at right guard among all right guards in the NFC. And so he sort of, without, you know, putting any bad vibes on anybody else, he pretty much nodded his head when I mentioned Austin Corbett. So take that for what it is. It was a nice visit with Scott Fitter. Hopefully we can do more of that throughout the season on on this platform and iHeartRadio. Practice. Okay, so Sam Darnold. We'll start with Sammy Boy here. Again, you, you saw both quarterbacks in the spirit of Matt Rule's competition, you know, mission here. Sam threw another interception in practice here. This one was not a pretty one. It was in double coverage. Sean Chandler, uh, who I believe has picked off a couple of passes now in camp, ended a drive during teams where he uh, basically just let it come to him. Uh, Darnold has now thrown a trio of interceptions over the past five sessions. Um, He's got four now during camp, and that's according to our friend Ellis Williams, and I can verify that based on my own charting here. Uh, the, the interceptions have been there once again for Sam Darnold. The more concerning thing, I don't mind interceptions in camp. I mean, this is going to happen. And I don't know why this is, and I, I think it might have something to do with the fact that the fundamental part of his game has been highly emphasized by Sean Ryan and Ben McAdoo this offseason in OTAs. He clearly has a leg up on the install and the verbiage that comes with the West Coast concepts that McAdoo runs. It's not something you just pick up on overnight. So Darnold has been entrenched in this, which is great. It's fine. But now you're seeing sort of Sam morphing into some Bridgewater progression, check down, dump down elements. If you just took the completion percentage... Uh, And that's why I hate that stat. Yes, Sam would have the edge right now at camp and team drills. And you're talking about, you know, actual 7-on-7, 11-on-11 stuff where you can get a sense of coverage patterns. You can get a sense of route combinations. But Sam continues to throw interceptions. And the bigger concern, the passes he continues to throw have a common thread. Number one, they're typically going to tight ends running backs, if they're going to receivers, there's nothing being challenged outside the numbers. So, I mean, we're talking about a condensed portion of the field that's being utilized by Sam Darnold in the passing game as we are now 11 days into training camp, which leads me to my next point about preseason games. I'll be interested to see, has there been a, electric shift in terms of processing and confidence from within a clean pocket from Sam Darnold now that he'll be playing presumably with some much better offensive linemen if he has some reps with the ones even with the twos it's a better group I would argue but again the the mistakes continue to linger for Sam and when the accuracy's been there it's been on five seven nine yard routes I mean we're talking about stuff that it gets back to the conversation about Teddy Bridgewater. Why did they replace Cam Newton? Well, Bridgewater is very good in the intermediate part of the field, gets the ball out quick. I mean, those are things to me, I don't want to take them for granted, but Baker can do that. Now, will he do it? I don't know. That gets me to a point here in a minute that everybody's got concerns about something, 
Nobody's perfect. And we'll highlight something about Baker that might be concerning, but we'll also give you some of the positives that overwhelm that minor concern. But again, the, the book on Sam continues to be, it's a fine camp. He's thrown some interceptions. I don't mind that so much. It's the lack of confidence in going to the reads that require you to push the ball up the seam on these tight end, the seam routes, the back shoulder stuff. Uh, you have a smash concept, the one that Baker hit today with Higgins. And imagine this, a smash concept if you don't know. So imagine your X receiver on the outside or your Z, whatever it might be, your boundary receiver on the far side of the field. He runs about a five yard and stop or a hitch as they call it. The slot receiver inside of that particular outside receiver is going to run about a 9, 10, 11 yard step and then run to the corner. So it looks like on the left, if, 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 it's, if it's right side action here from the quarterback's perspective, your slot receiver is going to run anywhere between 8 to 12 yards, do a little shimmy, and then run a post corner or corner post to the boundary. And the smash, which is going to be the little stop route on the outside, is designed to pull a coverage void down and open up that void where that corner route's going. Those are routes that Mayfield is very comfortable with from Stefanski's scheme. We've shown you several examples of that, including some flood concepts where, let's say you're in cover three, which is essentially you've got three DBs each in charge of the three deep thirds of the field, left, center, right. It's middle of field closed, as they call it, MOFC. If you hear MOFC, that means it's one high safety because the middle of the field's closed, essentially. MOFO, M-O-F-O, is cover two, two-man, whatever it might be, where you have a free and a strong manning their respective areas, and the middle of the field on a post would be open, hence middle of the field open. So against middle field closed, you, you see a lot of tape on Mayfield running flood concepts where the idea is to flood one side of the field with sort of a three-level concept you get an early sail route from maybe a tight end. It's maybe eight yards into the boundary. Underneath that that develops is sort of a release flat route from a fullback or an H-back. And then on top of that, and that usually develops after the sail, is going to be about a 15-yard and then a cut to the boundary on a corner route, a seven route as they call it. And so Baker's very good at understanding those concepts and, and taking the shot that needs to be taken on the money ball because what a cover three flood does is it takes that deep third corner from that flood side and he's tempted to pull down onto that second level route with the sail, which obviously leaves the middle of the field safety in a bad position to have to chase. And that corner, if you can throw it with acumen and velocity and placement, it's for the taking. Baker can do that, and he's done it several times. Here's the book on Baker today, okay, who just continues to be, I don't want to paint a picture of over-optimism, but there's some competency there and some, some energy and some juice there that we haven't seen in a while here. I've been saying this for five days, and I think we're finally starting to see it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't something that we were just hoping would continue to manifest we looked at the tape, and we knew with a healthy labrum, this was going to be the type of game we'd have here. Again, it's not even preseason games yet, but these are essential routes. So during team sessions, no turnovers, 
Uh, now, he didn't move the chains, but with that said, he hit DJ Moore on sort of an option screen route where, you know, you see this at times. You've got DJ with an opportunity to, uh, you know, or any receiver on the boundary. Uh, if the coverage dictates it as such and you've got off coverage, you can hit a quick little bubble or a little funnel screen there and get some positive yards. That's a custom-made opportunity for DJ Moore, who I have continued to call one of the biggest bullies at the position in the NFL. He is a run-after-catch demon. You get the ball in his hands, which they need to do more of, by the way. In open space, he will he will make you hurt. Uh, he's a bowling ball, and he was the very much that way today at camp uh, on what was a quick screen that went for 20-plus yards. Uh, he continues to connect with Robbie Anderson. Uh, another 25-plus yard connection to Robbie today. Uh, there's been several other over the course of this week. I mean, I think it's been up to three or four times that Robbie and DJ, I'm sorry, Robbie and Baker, have connected on passes over 25 yards. And again, it seems like it's just practice fodder here, but you got to consider when you've been at practice for two or three years now straight and you don't see that at all. Uh, it's Bridgewater quick inside the numbers, run and catch. Uh, Sam, it's okay, here's a good deep throw and there's two bad ones and here's one decent check down and then there's a terrible interception. There's a consistency to Baker's game and you wouldn't think so based on what you hear about Baker's sort of, uh, I know, fly by the seat of your pants, hair on fire type of personality. I don't want to get into Baker's head. I have a sense that he's got a real sort of self-awareness at this point about where his career has ended up. You're seeing guys like Kyler Murray and obviously Josh Allen and others, guys who came from his class and the class right after his, getting paid, getting that second contract. And I think the reality check that hit him when Cleveland pulled the plug and went to Deshaun Watson was... You know, Watson was drafted a year before me, and he's just got $230 million guaranteed. I'm a number one overall pick. I've been to the playoffs. I'm not perfect. I've had some ups and downs. But even in my worst season, which was 2019, I, I would still, if I'm a Panthers fan, look at that and say, that could probably get you eight, nine wins. Last year, the labor was an issue. So you have to take that tape with a grain of salt. The energy level from Baker is just unparalleled right now based on the other quarterbacks. Corralled, you can't see it now because he's not getting the reps, and I understand why. More on that later. But I think you're going to see Baker emerge from what continues to be, uh, to me, by name only, in name only, a quarterback competition. When you hear reports from reporters saying, well, Baker is catching up to Sam and surpassing him, in the spirit of what Matt Rule's laying out, sure, report it that way. That's fine. But if you want to be realistic, Baker has been the front runner since he was traded here. It was up to Darnold to show some type of flash that would, you know, compel Matt Rule and Ben McAdoo to say, okay, now this woke up a sleeping giant. That's not what you're dealing with here. You're dealing with a quarterback who is not very good. Now, Baker gets the job. He does. He will. He already has. And Sam stays on the roster, which if they don't trade him, I'm assuming he will. I think Sam can step in if Baker gets hurt and play a couple of quarters or a full game and actually give you something. You know, I don't want to just totally sell him up the river and say he's a bum. It's not that. We don't participate in that type of narrative on players. That's for fans who get frustrated. But he is not very good when you ask him to do, you know, a full season worth of work. 
and I'll, again, I'll echo the sentiments of, of two of my good friends and colleagues, and, and actually guys I look up to, uh, Matt Bowen, Greg Cosell, two-thirds of the NFL matchup program on ESPN. Uh, I've spoken with these guys on air and off the air several times, and the one thing they have both said is at some point, as a quarterback, as a top three pick, you have to stop if you're making the case for Sam. Now, Sam doesn't make excuses, but if you're trying to make the case that Sam Darnold has been given nothing to work with, finally he has weapons, it's all going to be great. It doesn't work that way most cases uh, when it's been as bad as it has been for Sam. And the things Sam is not doing right now, at least at this point, is demonstrating there's been some type of quantum leap which would suggest, okay, you trade for a guy who, for all his potential flaws, and we'll get to what I view as a potential flaw with Baker in a minute, for all of the warts that the media portrays, the Sam Darnold good guy image gets sort of the participation trophy award by some in the media, where a guy like Cowherd and others will be glowing about Sam. This is what he needs. It's a great change of pace. Um, Baker gets a lot of heat because he's an easy target, and he sets himself up for it sometimes. As long, and I will say this about everything, as long as the chemistry is there in the locker room and the guys are buying in, they're going to start the best guys together. They'd be stupid not to. So let's give Rule the benefit of the doubt to to that degree. And I, I will say this, while I remain somewhat perplexed that we have to go through this, and I, I understand the preseason games are a true barometer, uh, more so than practice, I still think you're doing yourself a disservice by splitting these reps. But we can't you know, do anything about that, and I'm not going to sit here and belabor it. The offensive line. Offensive line is interesting. So Akeem Aquanu, according to Matt Rule, was going to get, quote, a more aggressive look once the app, the, the install and the reps were in. Uh, at this point of camp, he's been true to his word. He came in today, and for two straight days, we've seen the rookie from NC State running the left tackle one position. How does he look? Well, I mean, what do you want me to tell you? On occasion, yeah, there'll be a speed route, you know, speed to power type of thing that can catch him a little bit off kilter. I have not seen him getting torched out there. I don't think it's going to be a big problem. I think there's some things, as we talked about pre-draft, is he as much of a technician and pass sets as Charles Cross? Absolutely not. But what he brings you in terms of the run game, and this is really what they want to establish here, what he brings you in the run game is unparalleled. Uh, I don't know if you remember Jeff Otal, who was a very good right tackle drafted out of Pitt back in 2008. Uh, It was a short stay for Jeff because injuries caught up. But when he was in the lineup at right tackle, you know, this was the double trouble season where Stewart and Williams just ran wild. Well, they were doing that in large part because Jeff Otal, among others, was just grading roads out there. And Aquano, I think, is a better prospect overall. He's a left-side player. And I think you'll be fine. Now, here's where it gets interesting, okay? So, at guard, what you would assume would have happened, and I guess we all fell into this trap, and it very well could still happen, is, okay, Aquanu will be the left tackle at some point. uh, And then Christensen, who has been taking the majority of the left tackle reps with the first team throughout camp, Christensen, the natural thing would be to give him an opportunity to be the left guard. Uh, Because, as we know, out of college, it's six foot six. He's got, you know, great size and frame, and, and he's got a good anchor to him. 
the arm situation, you know, while that is not his best physical trait, there have been tackles before that have played with 32-plus-inch arms. Jason Peters and other come to mind. And I also think the, the arm size thing would have served him at guard just fine, given his height, given his frame, given uh, his acumen in that department. But what we're seeing is a bit of a wild card here. And I don't want to come on here and be overly negative about it until I see more. But Michael Jordan, who uh, is the six foot six, three hundred and twelve guard from Ohio State, he played with Carolina last year from week six on in a number of uh, different, you know, capacities in terms of snap count. But he was a primarily left guard player last year. Uh, if you look back at his snap count last year, I mean, he ended up with a total of 703 snaps for the Panthers. Uh, 417 of those, based on PFF's definition, were pass sets in which these weren't, you know, clocking the ball or quick screens. These were opportunity snaps, as they call them, for defenses to get after him in the pass game. So, again, not an insignificant number of snaps. The, the grading scale for PFF, I mean, be careful about this to a certain degree, but they don't grade corners out very accurately. I think they do a really good job with offensive linemen. So when I look at tape, I go back here and I try to kind of size it up with these grades. And if there's some alignment there, unless I'm seeing something like, well, you guys are way off the mark, it's a good place to go. So i just give you an indication of what Michael Jordan went through last year in pass blocking, 417 opportunity snaps. And again, we'll, we'll define that for you here to give you an opportunity. Opportunity snap is an allowed pressure opportunity, a non-spike, non-penalty snap when you're participating as a pure pass blocker in a set. Okay? So that's the story on Michael Jordan. He had 417 of those. Six sacks were allowed at a 417. Uh, 22 hurries, 32 pressures. Uh, Not great. Not great. And and you look at a couple games in particular, back-to-back. Actually, uh, several in a row here, but we'll start with Washington. There were a couple of of snaps there at guard that really got away from him and impacted the game late that concerned me. Uh, 6'6 is a big guy for a guard. I mean, I don't mind it. I just think... There's a little bit of tape there from Jordan that concerns me. He allowed four pressures against Washington in that game. Two against Miami, uh, where he was graded out at 13.5 in the pass blocking department by PFF. The entire team was a mess that day up front, but he was part of that. Then you go on down the list. Buffalo did not do him any favors. Uh, He was pressured four times, three hurries. Tampa Bay, the, the the home game, there was week 16. A very uninspired performance by that offense. He had 53 pass set opportunity snaps, seven pressures allowed, two sacks. His best game would have been the Arizona game where he had 33 opportunity snaps, uh, didn't allow one pressure. But uh, I think a lot of that was probably based on the fact that, you know, they schematically were ahead in that game and they were able to run. So I don't know. Jordan, by the way, he's running with the ones at left guard for two straight days now. Where does that leave Brady Christensen? Look down at his metrics. He was a little more of a mixed bag last year. 
He played left guard against Miami. Left guard against New Orleans for only a few snaps now, not a lot. Right guard against Atlanta. And that was not a good game for him at, at all. I mean, three pressures allowed in 37 opportunities. Uh, I, I am concerned a little bit suddenly as we progress through camp here about left guard. Because I think we've kind of penciled Brady Christensen in as, oh, man, Icky, and then Christensen obviously can do left tackle. Could be great at guard. I don't know that yet. I don't. I mean, you've got more help around you with Bradley Bozeman, who, by the way, will be the first-team center, I'm pretty certain. I think from talking to people around camp today, it confirmed my theory that, okay, let's not freak out that Pat Elfline was getting center reps. No offense to Pat. He can play the position, but Bozeman is the free agent guy you brought in. From a system, uh, Greg, Roman, Greg Roman runs there in Baltimore that requires you to do a lot, and he can do a lot. He's got physicality, speed, agility, uh, mindset. He'll be your left, uh, or he'll be your starting center without question. I'd be stunned if something happens there. Right guard is Austin Corbin, and again, this is the guy that I've been talking to you about for weeks now in terms of his stability to play that many snaps in the NFC powerhouse Rams department there in their operation, you're going to get lifted fast. If you can hold your own, he had some nice pass sets against, you know, some guys like Sue and others in the playoffs, not perfect, but good tape, good solid tape. And then Taylor mode, right tackle. He's like, Oh, hallelujah. I've got me a right guard right beside me and a center beside him. that can do the work. I just be careful about that left side. Cause if you're going to do Iki Aquanu at left tackle, which I think they will, and if Brady Christensen is your left guard or if it's Michael Jordan, uh, that can be schemed around. I, I think that you can attack that a little bit in the pass game. In the run game, you're okay. But again, Michael Jordan uh, is getting reps with the ones at left guard, and uh, I, I don't want anybody to be surprised if that ends up being the case. Uh, if I had to guess today, I would assume that it's a 50-50 split because I think we've had a bit of a misnomer that Christensen was being penciled in for guard, if not tackle. I can tell you, Aquanu won't be a guard. I mean, and we talked about this with a couple guys on site today that cover the league, uh, and I can confirm it just based on you know my own notes that Aquanu has not taken one snap at guard during camp. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells you they're not going to play him at guard. <laughs> I mean, they, if For all the rotation versatility stuff that the Mavro likes to do, if you ain't a part of it, if you're not getting multiple reps or, or variable reps, you're where you need to be, and that's how they view you. They view Icky either, either as the starting left tackle or the backup left tackle right now. They don't view him as a guard. I would assume if they did, they would have him in there more. But I do like the fact that Aquanu in the run game, which will be the point of emphasis for this team this year, it'll be run-centric, it'll be play-action schemed up off of that with some two tight end sets, a lot of which we've seen so far, led by Trimble, and Thomas, who caught a touchdown today, by the way, uh, I think Tremble and Thomas will be more than serviceable in 12 personnel. I really do. And I think you can maybe get some more out of Ian now with, with McAdoo, who does like tight end work. And you obviously have an opportunity with a quarterback in Baker Mayfield, who, and this is important, I, I want you to kind of hear this out too. He comes from a system that couldn't be more geared around finding the tight end in the passing game, whether it's detached like Njoku, in line like uh, Austin Hooper or, or any other tight ends they might have had. He 
has already had a pre-programmed mindset here. He's he's coming in out of the box, basically, programmed to find tight ends and not just stick routes or, or third or fourth options in the flat. We're talking about primary reads in the vertical portion of the field. Told you in practice a couple days ago, and this is when Baker started getting me excited. Only one of them were completions, but on the same four-play series during teams, he goes left off his first read into a seam route, a Y-seam route to a tight end. It was Trimble. His back shoulder, right off his fingertips. A tough catch, but a very good throw. Come back four plays later to end the series. Same play, inverse, flip the card, flip the side, and it's Colin Thompson running the same route, back shoulder, at least 20 yards down the field, makes a great catch. Baker's not afraid or uh, adverse to hitting tight ends vertically in the pass game, and I, I think that'll serve Ian Thomas and Trimble well. I really do. But that that is sort of the basic fundamental truth of what's going on right now at the quarterback position. Hollywood Higgins, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, he's becoming the star of camp right now. With, with Robbie catching a lot of balls, I love what he's doing. Higgins has great hands. And we, we know Hollywood has some past with Baker Mayfield. We know some of that has been overshadowed to a certain degree by the fact that on Saturday he did hold the ball over the pylon or the goal line, and he was asked, among uh, others, to run as a result of a habit that I'm sure he wants, Matt Rule that is, he wants to squash from his entire team. People have been showing me this play from Higgins during the divisional round playoff game back in 2020 against the Cleveland, against the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, beg your pardon, in which early, I guess I should say late in the second quarter, they're down two possessions. Mayfield hits Higgins, who crosses over the field, and he sees the defender closing into the pylon, and he dives, and I believe it was Sorensen for, and remember that name for McCaffrey, Sorensen can do some damage. Sorensen, right at the pylon, goes in and spears Higgins in the helmet. Now, the ball is held out to the pylon, but right as the head-to-head collision happens, the ball comes out. You tell me. I mean, you hold the ball out, and you get the score. Are we talking about this as a major crisis? No, but he gets a helmet-to-helmet hit. They don't call it, and I have to think that jarred him to the point where the ball comes out. I don't think it was the pylon knocking it out. The ground didn't cause it. My point here is, Let's try to focus on the positives here for once. Higgins has been very good at camp in the intermediate to deep portion of the field. His hands are solid. Again, I told you about the smash concept earlier where he runs the corner route and comes down with it. There's a play later where he's going down the seam, almost a post concept, and he high points this ball. And it gets an electric reaction from the crowd. Baker's loving it. They've got a built-in chemistry that I, I, I spoke with our friend Joe Dolan from Fantasy Points on his podcast, and he asked me about the fantasy sleepers, and I'm not a big fantasy guy, but I said, look, logically, look at Hollywood Higgins. Ten touchdowns between Baker, Mayfield, and Higgins and during their three years together in Cleveland. And, and Mayfield was distributing to a lot of guys there. That's a lot of production. I don't know if Carolina threw for ten touchdowns last season. As a team, I, I honestly don't think they did. But I, I do like Higgins a lot. I mean, it just 
hyperbole is one thing, but this is a guy who has legitimately shined here at training camp, and it's only getting better every day. And now that Mayfield was more consistent today than he's been. I mean, you've seen some ups and downs. Some of the, the things about Mayfield, he, he'll, he'll take shots and he'll get picked off, and that will happen. Uh, he's not a big guy, six feet, so there have been some batted balls. We've seen that. But today uh, was much more of an exercise in consistency uh, than in days past. And I, I really think it's a great sign of things to come. Uh, Terrace Marshall Jr., uh, did miss practice today. Again, we continue to talk about his issue, and it continues to be a leg issue. It, it's not something that we anticipate being a long-term you know, uh, injury concern for him, but it's hot as hell in Spartanburg. Cramps could happen. You don't want to exacerbate that by rushing him back from a lower leg injury. So what we look to do is, uh, as a team, as, as reporters, that is, just kind of not overwhelm you with, oh, my goodness, uh, Mayfield is connecting with Higgins and Marshall's getting left in the dust. I don't think that's the case at all. Marshall was was uh, on the top of the list or near there in terms of targets and touches before his injury here at camp. He was getting a lot of balls, and he was catching a lot of good ones. He looks fine. Looks fine. Uh, Steven Sullivan, the tight end, who I like a lot, uh, had an excused personal absence. Uh, Dennis Daly, the same. A uh, longtime swing tackle guard for this position group down here in Carolina. Uh, Mayfield and Darnold at the end of practice, this was interesting too. It was a two and a half hour practice. And at the very end, around the two hour mark, Matt Rule decides uh, with no debate from his team whatsoever, they're going to run some end zone, no huddle type of drills, some high pace, high intensity, two minute type situations. And I thought some good things came from that, including the very end where Mayfield hits McCaffrey for a touchdown and they end the practice on a very high note. Uh, This comes from our good friend uh, Augusta Stone, who's a reporter for Panthers.com. And I'll read you this excerpt uh, just to give you an idea of where Brian Burns is in the competition. By the end of the day, defensive end Brian Burns asked head coach Matt Rule to extend practice by a series because he wasn't satisfied with the team's performance. Rule says, quote, a lot of that was Brian. I called the guys up before the last drive. He said, nah, coach, we got to run that back again. Rule says, quote, that was a long day, our longest practice we've had. It was hot, and for a guy like Burns to say, no, let's do it again, it's a great sign for his leadership. And obviously that goes without saying. That's something that, from my perspective on the field, is that some of the media were a little further back at that point. You couldn't really hear that, but the thanks to our good friends at Panthers.com for underscoring the fact that Burnsy, who is a team leader, has been since his rookie year, is willing to say, look, this is bullshit. We're, we're not happy. Let's do it again. You love to see it. I've shown you numerous moments of Brian Burns where the stakes were not necessarily high for the team or himself. And he's giving maximum effort. Two plays in mind. Number one, when Ron Rivera, actually it wasn't even Ron, it was the interim coach at that point, uh, and the staff that was in place asked him to be the gunner on special teams in Indianapolis, a game that uh, Will Greer was the starter. They had no chance to win. It was a punt that could have gone back for a touchdown. Burns was the guy that, that Gunner came down and overfilled a little bit, and then he was the one that sprinted full steam back to save a touchdown. That's a defining moment character-wise to me when you look at tape. 
And then number two was the game in which Mac Jones, I still can't believe we, we don't talk about this enough, Mac Jones tried to mangle his leg after he was strip-sacked. And Burns goes to the ground, and there's clear video evidence that Mac Jones is trying to do Burns harm. Well, later in that game, when it was way out of hand, I mean, the game was two, three possessions at that point. We're winding down the fourth quarter. Burns is still in there. He comes off the edge on what's a sort of a slow-developing, sort of a power pull running play and blows up the running back right as the exchange happens with Mac Jones to the back. And, you know, Burns didn't take Mac's knees out. He probably shouldn't have, but I can understand where he would have felt compelled to. But he blew that play up. And the game was over. So for Brian Burns to be, you know, the, the, in the leadership committee with Shaq Thompson, of course, out right now during, uh, during camp, I think it just doesn't surprise me at all, but you love to see it. You love to see it at all. I mean, it's a great, great concept. Um, and you saw some things earlier. The, the seven um, on seven stuff was, was efficient. It's hard for me, again, defensively. I've been asked about this a lot, and it's not that I'm not paying attention. How does the defense look? How do, how does, how do some guys look? I mean, look, they, they, they look fine. I don't think what you're seeing here is Baker's torching them, lighting them up. you got a better quarterback now than they're used to from last camp. Burn, you can't go full steam at, at edge and go after the quarterback, so I can't give you an honest assessment on how Burns looks against, you know, certain tackles and his lean, his bend uh, around the edge. Derek Brown looks like Derek Brown. I mean, I, I like the guy a lot, but you're not getting Aaron Donald. You never were. This is a guy that is somewhere in between a, a three technique and a nose tackle, and uh, he can do a little bit of both, but th- there is some something there that, that you see on tape that you like, and then you understand you're not going to get that every snap. He has a purpose and a role here. And they've got Bravey and Roy nose tackle, and they only have one true nose tackle in a scheme that really requires a good one. And, you know, Roy, I don't know if he's going to be the answer or not. They brought in Danny Shelton for a visit last week. That didn't materialize. And then Edge, too. I mean, Marcus Haynes looks to be okay. That's good news. But even with Haynes, I love him situationally, but he is not an edge setter in the run game. And right behind this group, whether it's YGM, Haynes, a number of others, you're going to end up with a situation at linebacker where Thompson comes back and he'll be just fine. I thought Corey Littleton has had a good week, and I like his ability to sort of command things from the middle position with Shaq taking time off right now. Damian Wilson is a run stuffer, but I don't know what his status is legally. I mean, he's going to face some type of legal process here with some serious charges involving violence or threats of violence so much like you know Perriman last year I'm not banking on him even being here but if he is and his legal situation takes shape and cleans up he could be a good asset but from there Brandon Smith looks nice I mean but there's some things there that you have to continue to watch during the preseason games how well does he fill his gap how well does he read and key on the run based on some of the numerous concepts McAdoo is throwing at their wide zone, gap power scheme. Uh, you you got to be sharp. He's a great athlete. You go down the list of rookies, Amari Barno, I don't see much there yet. I mean, these are, it's early days. Uh, the back end is promising. I mean, I, what I see from the corners is J.C. Horn, who, by the way, tried to sneak back into the, the practice session today. So the story is 
they're running two-minute drills, and JC's on a pitch count for the foot injury, obviously. He tries to sneak out there onto the field and get in the nickel, and, and the coach stopped him and said, get your ass back here. It was kind of a funny moment, but JC is a competitor, bro. He wants to play. He'll be fine, I think. The foot thing, you always got to worry a little bit. That. I mean, we've had foot trauma here with Olsen and Newton and others. So, yeah, of course we're worried, but I think this is a different situation. Younger guy, faster recovery time. They're bringing him along slow. Henderson, to me, has been another nice storybook uh, storyline of this camp. Steve Wilkes has a lot to do with that. Evan Cooper as well, coaching him up. He looks more intense and happier on that field, and he feels like he has a role to play. It, it doesn't feel like the Urban Meyer experience. They've got real good coaching around him now. Phil Snow likes him a lot. He's got great size. Dante is a solid corner. I'd imagine Horn would be your main slot guy when he's healthy. With Hartsfield, you know, sitting right there waiting in the wings. Keith Taylor's still hurt, but he's got good size. It's an interesting group. The safety group is always going to be something we look at, but I think they've got something with Woods there running it free and then uh, Chin. It is, it's not a linebacker situation from what we can tell at camp. And what they're running a lot of here continues to be what Phil Snow always runs. It's just uh, the three linemen in theory. Um, it's four when you have your sandbacker, what we would call sandbacker or edge, depending on how you look at it. But imagine three guys with their hand in the dirt, sometimes in a tight type of formation that's called, you know, 404, where you've got, you know, the four technique. The four technique is the ends, and then zero technique is nose. That would be a defensive tackle right over the center's nose. And outside of that, you occasionally have a fourth guy who's standing up, and that's your Sam Backer, and that's Frankie LeVu. Uh Again, play with a lead. It'll be good play from behind, you might have some problems. And I I don't want to disparage this defense. I'm proud of them. I'm proud of where they've come from. But the red zone stuff was not good last year. Uh, The situational run game stuff was not very good last year. They've got great potential to be another game-wrecking type of unit, but you got to remember Hassan Reddick is no longer here, and that constitutes 10-plus sacks plus a ton of pressures. So can Burns do it alone? I mean, I know he talked about being frustrated, having a you know double-digit sack season is next on his list. I think uh, add to that list, and I'm sure he already has, being the pro he is, trying to work in harmony with this defensive coordinator, the staff, and with his mates up there in the front seven to find a way to be you know just zero tolerance in terms of allowing the run. Problem with that is, you think back to some of the great run defenses of this era and of this team's era. 2013 comes to mind, 2003 comes to mind. You had, you know, guys like Addison and, and Hardy uh, and others that had size and frame and, and pass rushing skills too. But they had the stout edge setting run defense you look for. I mean, back in 03, my goodness, you had Rucker and Peppers off the edge there. Al Wallace too, one of the best run defenders we've ever seen on the defensive line. And then Buckner and Jenkins inside with a, you know, Shane Burton rotating. They were eight deep. And the linebackers were the beneficiaries of it with, you know, Dan Morgan, one of the better backers we've seen here, along with Will Witherspoon, who was, you know, nothing to sneeze at, very good player, very athletic. And then Greg Favors, who was a utility guy uh, at the Sam backer position. That's what you need. That's what I, I concerned myself with that a little bit here, given Cleveland is coming in uh, in about 32 days now 
to open the season without Deshaun Watson, but with Bill Callahan, with Kevin Stefanski's playbook. And through studying Baker Mayfield's tape, I got to acclimate myself with what they like to do. And it's no secret. It's two tight ends, three tight ends, a lot of what we call 12 and 13 personnel. Not a lot of fullback lead stuff, but a lot of getting to a certain part of the weakness of the defense, which is a little bit of wide zone cut and go. And uh, until they prove otherwise, that that's something I'd have to be a little concerned about if I'm Phil Snow. I'm sure he's on top of it, but it, it's something that begs the question, do they add another defensive end? Do they add Trey Flowers or JPP? I thought Dunlap was a, a great opportunity for them, and I think the visit to Kansas City compelled him to maybe try that out. I mean, let's face it, that's a hard team to say no to. But they've got some money to spend. I think two areas they need to be aware of here are, are opposite burns, that edge side. And I'm not talking about the traditional Sam edge pass rushing side that is Frankie LaVou. I mean, Frankie can attack the run game. He's an animal. But again, we want something stout there to sort of set an edge. Um, the, the, the structure of what Phil Snow's base defense has always been. So again, I don't have a telestrator here, but just imagine this. Let's call it 404 tight. So 404 tight, the four stands for four technique. All right? So imagine a chart here. Three technique, you guys know what that is. Obviously, it's right in between the guard and the tackle. And that's Warren Sapp territory. That's Kewan Short territory. That is where you get in between those two stout guys and your idea is to split that and get inside as a speed guy and wreak havoc not only in the run game but more importantly in the pass game now when you talk about four technique a four tech is going to line up imagine this in your mind right over the tackle so this is what snow has done a lot of let's say it's these three Okay, Derek Brown. Okay, Derek Brown will be at a four technique lined like on top of a tackle, not left, not right, not shaded. Let's say it's Trevor Penning. It's right head on to him. That's four oh four. The O in the four oh four, the middle is the nose tackle. That's zero technique. Zero technique is when you see a defensive lineman playing at the nose position. All that means is the defensive tackle is not lined up in between. You know, one guy or another, it's basically controlling gaps by controlling one guy in front of them. And, of course, the other four in the 404 is the opposite side four technique, which would be over the right tackle. So you've got a helmet on the left tackle, a helmet on the center, helmet on the right tackle. Okay? And then from that, your idea is to squeeze and force the run to the perimeter where you would have your Leo, they call it at times, which would be Burns or LeVu at times, but Burns would, would typically be, which is basically an outside linebacker or edge presence. Uh, opposite that would be a LeVu, and then you've got backers. And your idea there is to flood the initial run or the, the initial look of the run to get them to bounce. You want these guys to bounce to the perimeter where you feel as a defense you have the force defenders on either side at nickel, at, 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 at corner, and even on the edges to manage that. 
but your your 404 lineman would be Derek Brown at end, which would be right over a tackle. Right now, Bravey and Roy would be your nose tackle, and then Matt Ioannidis would probably be the other four technique. Just a little bit of a glimpse in terms of what the 404 tight is. And there's others, you know, there's 505, there's all sorts of, but it's a tight, T-I-T-E, look it up. You can get a real good sense of what Phil Snow's structure is, and he has not strayed from that very much. There, There's 43 over-under concepts that mirror this, and they don't play it strictly, you know, like I explained it every down in terms of run sets, they, they will variate this to a certain degree. But look for that a lot, which puts a lot of emphasis on having guys who can take care of business on the perimeter. Force defenders, they call them. J.C. Horn can do that in the slot or outside. Henderson, I, I believe he'll be fine there. Uh Dante shows me at times he's not afraid to get down there and make tackles. I think he's very good in that department. Very good there. One thing Phil Snow likes, and he's talked about this with people that I know, his nickel corner needs to tackle. He needs to be an elite premier tackler. That's why A.J. Bouye was the guy last year. He was considered of all the guys to be not only a veteran that could handle the nickel concepts and responsibilities and all the mindset that goes into it, uh, but he's a good tackler. Chin will not be a linebacker. I mean, that's not the structure of it right now. Chin's going to be your strong safety who has a Palomalu type of flavor to what he does. Um, He'll be in the box when you've got, uh, say, the closed side of the formation on offense, which if if you want to know what the closed side is, imagine you have one tight end the formation. The tight end side is the closed side. The, the other side without the tight end, the weak side, I guess you could say, is the open side. So on a closed side opportunity, you will see Chin creep down and run situations, even in past situations. And if he has to take on, you know, a tight end in coverage, then he'll have to do it. He's improved a little bit in that area. But again, just look out for defensive structure there. It's very important. I think... They're careful about us filming it, talking about it, but that's a glimpse of what I can tell you. Again, offense, it's going to be two tight end sets. Uh, You're going to have some route concepts that just scream Mayfield strengths in terms of placement on deep balls. It's encouraging. It really is. Uh, Running backs, once again, are vital to all this. McCaffrey's health is so crucial. And his utilization is important, and I hope there are two guys on this roster. And I'll close out the show with this. There are two guys on this roster that I hope aren't, quote, surprise cuts. Because every year we see one, and it's like, oh, man, yeah. Man, yeah, I wish they I wish they would have, you, know you know the feeling. Uh, there's two guys here this team can't afford to cut. Number one's Dante Foreman. He's looked good in camp. He's looked good in tape from Tennessee. He's exactly the profile athletically and mentally you want in a back that complements McCaffrey. And I'm not saying McCaffrey can't take on 25 touches. There's games where we'll have to do 30, I'm sure. But you need a guy that has been a bell cow at times before, which Foreman has been, college and in the pros, to be right there, standing pat, 
I mean, Amir Abdullah was fine. Hubbard is coming along, but Foreman is next-level power and contact balance versus, you know, those other guys I mentioned. And the other guy is Andre Roberts. Um, I continue to be impressed by his ability to get into the offense and flash a little bit. I know there's only so many shirts to go around here. Shai Smith has had a nice camp. Zilstra is always a solid producer. C.J. Saunders runs just tremendously gifted routes. But Roberts is a vet who has done a little bit of everything. He's caught balls. He's been a part of an offense. But as I said yesterday, with Chris Tabor now as a special teams coordinator, emphasizing blocking schemes in the punt game, punt return game, kickoff game, kick return game, you plug Roberts back there, and you you not only – you accomplish three things. Number one, you're not holding your breath every time you're looking to field a punt. Teams that go on the cheap, and Panthers have been through this before, and they they skim there, you end up putting yourself in a turnover-prone position. You want a professional punt returner who can, as Bill Parcells for a long time we talked about, can have that posture where they're set down, knees bent, athletic position, the ball's coming into them, they're not backtracking to it. Roberts is so good at that. Number two are these bonus yards you get from his natural returnability plus Tabor's scheme and coaching. So we're not looking at four or five yards a pop. Maybe we're looking at eight, nine, 10, 11, 15 yards as an average type of return, which totally changes the game from being, I start at my 21, I'm now starting at my 35. The third element is you never know when this guy can house one. And in a game of margins, and Fitter even mentioned this today when he came by and spoke, he said, you just look at, like last year, it was just little things here or there. And his general theme there was the game is definitely a, a won and lost in margins. If you got Andre Roberts, can can go explosive on you. Let's just say there's two levels of this. One is the 45-plus yard returns. Then you totally change the game. And let's say he, a couple times a year. He can give you six points on his own. That not only gives you points in production that is sort of like a bonus, but it deflates a team unlike a lot of things you can find. Giving up a punt return for a touchdown, no matter if you're winning or losing or it's tied, that's a traumatic experience. I've heard Bill Walsh talk about these things, about using the word traumatic. I would phrase that a certain way. You know, if you're a team that, is right there neck and neck with the other team in a game. And you know you've got an Andre Roberts type of guy that can just house one. It it totally alters your mindset. And it can change the game. So those are two guys I hope they keep. And Higgins, by the way, Hollywood Higgins was the star of the day. Without question. Baker was very good, but Higgins is very, very gifted. And uh, that's another guy that if, if they cut and made room for any number of receivers uh, that are in the sort of the back half of the depth chart, I'd, I'd be very frustrated for Panthers fans because I don't see any reason why you would cut that guy at all. So as we wrap up this edition, the sun setting here from Spartanburg, Wofford College, the Panthers have released a depth chart. Uh, still very early, still very, what I would say, unofficial, but entertaining nonetheless. Uh, let me read to you what it says. Quarterback one is Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. Breaking news, they're both in the first team quarterback box. Uh, Baker's listed first. I don't know if that means anything. 
You know what all this means. It's fine. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, your first team quarterbacks on the depth chart. P.J. Walker follows as the, I guess, second string or third string. How does this work? And then it's Matt Corral. So the order is Baker Sam, (laughs) P.J. Walker, then Matt Corral. Please don't platoon these quarterbacks. That's all I ask. Running back, Christian McCaffrey, and then another split duty here in the second team. Dante Foreman, Chuba Hubbard, both listed as the backup running backs, followed by Spencer Brown, Darius Bradwell, John Lovett. Wide receivers are broken down into two different slots here. Let's start with the the first string, DJ Moore, uh, Robbie Anderson. So it's Moore, Anderson, both first team receivers, one left, one right. I mean, that's XZ, whatever you want to say. They're both interchangeable. Second team, Rashard Higgins, Terrace Marshall. No big surprises. Third team, Brandon Zilstra, Shai Smith. Fourth team, Keith Kirkwood, C.J. Saunders, who's been getting a lot of run during camp, but is way down the depth chart. Fifth string, Andre Roberts, who we were just talking about. We, we want to keep him around for return skills, but he's fifth right now. Derek Wright is fifth uh, on the other side, and then Charleston Rambo, Rashawn Henry down there at sixth. Tight end group looks like this. Uh, Ian Thomas, Colin Thompson, and Jared Scott are your right tight ends. Tommy Trimble, Stephen Sullivan, Giovanni Ricci, and Josh Babbitt's left tight end. So they basically, on the depth chart, have left-right tight end groups, which tells you right now, personnel-wise, I would imagine 12 personnel again, two tight end sets. It's Trimble, it's Thomas. They think highly of Sullivan. He's second string on one of those. So, And Colin Thompson's a, a rule guy. I mean, he'll be around, so we'll see what happens there. Offensive line. Here we go. Left tackle. Officially, unofficially on the depth chart. It's Brady Christensen at left tackle. Akeem Aquanu, second string left tackle. Wyatt Miller, third team. So on the depth chart, it's Christensen first, Aquanu second, Miller third. Left guard is Michael Jordan. First team left guard on the depth chart. Second team left guard is Dennis Daly. Third team is our friend Deontay Brown, who, uh, just refuses to, to get into the game. Center. Once again, Pat Elfline and Bradley Bozeman are both both listed as first-team centers. Sam Tecklenburg would be behind them. So, obviously, there are still decisions to be made as far as Elfline Bozeman. I contend that a lot of this is smoke and mirrors, that there is very little chance Elfline will be your starting center. If anything else, he'll be your starting left guard if Jordan doesn't cut it. Uh, Bozeman has been working with Mayfield on the number two team there. So I, I think this will all shake out. Uh, that's the offensive depth chart. The surprises to me, again, right guard, let's finish this. Right guard, Austin Corbett, Mike Horton, Cade Mays. That's the order of things. Uh, right tackle, Taylor Moten, Cam Irving, Austin Pleasants. No surprises there. So the only thing that I look at here is just the the, the combo boxes here. With You got Mayfield Darnold as the first string quarterbacks foreman hubbard i i think foreman is uh, again hubbard was the incumbent if you will at second team but foreman's a better back right now i think and i'd rather see him get the second team reps but it's a depth chart it is what it is and then of course brady christensen listed as the first team left tackle right now uh more symbolic than anything for matt rule i would assume is given his statements about we're not giving him anything well akeem will occasionally just take it. <laughs> so, I, I don't know why he's not the first team left tackle on paper, but he's not. Michael Jordan being the first team left guard, that was a curveball I didn't expect. Uh, I did not think he would be.
be the left guard for this team at all. But he right now sits as your first team left guard. Let's go to the defense, okay? Remember defensive structure we talked about. So a lot of this is, you got to be thinking positional structure. Left defensive end, okay? Brian Burns, number one. Marcus Haynes, number two. Amari Barno, third. Drew Jordan, then Marquand McCall, fourth and fifth. Your tackle situation is looking like this. Left tackle, Derek Brown, Davian Nixon, Phil Hoskins at the left defensive tackle position. Right defensive tackle, Matt Ioannidis, first team. Bravian Roy, second team. Frank Heron, third team. Right defensive end. Again, these terminologies aren't going to align with their defensive structure. It's just standard terms. Right defensive end is YGM, then Daryl Johnson, then Austin Larkin, and then uh, Tualoi Marinay, who was hurt today, I believe, uh, back up fourth string there. Linebacker position. There's no des- designation of Sam, Will, uh, Joker, Leo, whatever it might be. The left outside linebacker is Shaq Thompson, first string, followed by Corey Littleton, then Julian Stanford and Tolson. Penciled into the mic position and base defense is Damian Wilson, followed by Kamal Martin and then Isaiah Graham Mobley. The right outside linebacker is Frankie LeVu and then Brandon Smith and then Aaron Mosby. Uh, LeVu is the right outside linebacker. He is not going to be a stack linebacker who fills the run and, and then covers from there. In the spirit of, of understanding what this means, right outside linebacker on this depth chart essentially is Sam linebacker. He's the Sam backer who is on the line typically beside three linemen with their hand in the dirt, which in this case would be a Brian Burns, uh, a Derek Brown, and then a Matt Ioannidis. And you could flip that. Burns could be that guy at times too. But uh, just understand you're going to see some defensive structures from Phil Snow that make this depth chart make no sense. The cornerback, they don't have nickel listed, but let me tell you, left cornerback, number one is Dante Jackson. Number two is C.J. Henderson. Westry, Harper, Dawson, Jones round out the top five. Right cornerback is J.C. Horn, followed by Keith Taylor, and then Kalon Barnes, Stanley Thomas Oliver, Tay Hayes. Uh, the safety position, uh, listed free safety. So uh, he's more of a strong safety to me, but it's all interchangeable, I assume. The free safety depth chart, I should say, is Jeremy Chin, Sean Chandler, Kenny Robinson. The strong safety depth chart, Xavier Woods, Justin Burris, Miles Hartsfield is listed as a strong safety at 5'11", 211, and Sam Franklin Jr. Special teams, kick returner number one, punt returner number one, both Andre Roberts. Shai Smith is the backup, number two at both of those. And then C.J. Saunders. So it's Roberts, Smith, Saunders at all the return positions. Hey, how about J.J. Jansen? Back for another year at long snapper, penciled in. Johnny Hecker is the holder, punter, and Zane Gonzalez is the kicker. Uh, Do I have any thoughts on this? Uh, Not many. Not many. They have to release one before the first preseason game. I would just, uh, you know, like I just said on Twitter, take it with a grain of salt, a couple grains of salt, a pack of salt if you have to. Take a deep breath. Uh, we told you earlier Michael Jordan was getting the reps with the ones. And uh, however you want to define free, strong safety, they've got Jeremy Chin listed at free safety. So uh, it won't matter when you're talking about the way Phil Snow defines his defensive structure. He'll be playing in the stronger side of the field where you're going to be on the close side against uh, tight ends and and more than likely coming down, screaming down from that deep part of the field 
and trying to stop the run. It'll be what it'll be, but if you look at the tape, I mean, that's he's played everywhere. He's played free, strong, in the box, nickel. Uh, it is what it is. And just when you look at this depth chart, just, again, if you have any questions, you can hit me up at One Panther Place, but there's no real left outside linebacker. There's, there's, <laughs> this is not a very extensive depth chart by design, by the way, because they're, they're not going to give you, oh, here's our Leo, and here here's here's our Joker position. And by the way, when we're in 404 tight, here are our two Vortex. Oh, this is elementary stuff, but interesting nonetheless. We'll wrap you with that. Uh, we are actually back tomorrow. A little note for you. 9 a.m. is the kickoff time for practice here at Wofford. And it uh, looks like from some reporting from Will Kunkel and a few others that it's going to be mostly Matt Corral and P.J. Walker. A lot of the starters are going to be sitting out tomorrow in advance of FanFest, which is on Thursday. So if you want to see Matt Corral, come out to Wofford tomorrow, 9 a.m., and uh, we'll see you there. For Billy Marshall, who is uh, taking a little time off today, I'm John Ellis. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Roar Podcast Daily Digest here from Panthers Camp. We'll see you tomorrow. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.